This week, I'm talking all about a dog who starts peeing every time she becomes excited. How can we put a stop to this problem behaviour? I'm then moving on to finding the right diet for a cat with multiple different conflicting medical conditions. And then finally discussing a tiny chihuahua who's suffering from a skin rash a week after vaccination. Should they be getting a smaller vaccination dose? And should this owner be worried? But first, here's the intro. You're listening to the Dr. Alex Answers Podcast, the show that answers all of your dog and cat health questions so they can live healthier, happier lives. And here's your host, veterinarian, Dr. Alex Avery. This is episode number 21 of the Dr. Alex Answers Show. Welcome along. I'm Dr. Alex, and this is the show where I answer any questions that you have about how to prevent disease, how to keep your pet healthy, how to pick up on the fact that they might be unwell in the first place, and the things that you need to think about when it comes to treating them, just for whatever really life throws their way. I'm so grateful that you're here sharing your valuable time with me. And if we're meeting for the first time and you do enjoy the show, then consider subscribing just so that you don't miss out on the weekly podcast. And I'm going to jump straight into my first question today, which is from Lil, who says that her dog, which is a female border collie puppy, always pees when she sees new people or if she sees someone who she hasn't seen in more than a day or two. So how can she stop this behaviour? Lil assumes it's because of excitement, but is that right? And what can we do about stopping it? Well, Excitement peeing and submissive peeing are two potentially very similar occurrences, very similar behaviours, but they're they're based on a couple of different kind of key emotions, really. And while they can look very similar, the way to go about fixing them and to preventing them and, and stopping them and training your dog out of them can be slightly different. So if your dog is running around, if they're jumping up, if they're peeing when they're moving or if when they're playing, then that really is likely to be excitement peeing. If, on the other hand, they've got their tail tucked between their back legs, if they're rolling onto their back, if they're showing their belly, and if they're urinating during those kind of postures and those behaviours, then it's much more likely that a dog and a puppy is submissive peeing. So you can see they're kind of quite subtle. One, it's a dog who's looking really excited, their kind of tails up, wagging, they're running around, they're jumping up and they're peeing. The other one, when their tail's tucked between their back legs, rolling onto their back and showing their belly. So those are quite submissive behaviours. If you have a little think and have a little look when your dog's exhibiting this behaviour, then you should be able to see quite nicely the difference. So how do we stop a dog from excitement peeing? Well, the first thing to say is that a lack of complete bladder control is absolutely normal in puppies. So they generally grow out of it, but it can persist in older dogs as well especially when they're getting super excited and if we've not taken steps to try and stop this behaviour. So we really need to put steps in place to stop stop both excitement and submissive peeing early to maximise the likelihood and the chance of this problem just disappearing rather than sticking around into adulthood. And the first thing we need to do for excitement peeing is just to try and avoid excitement and certainly try and avoid an incredibly excited, worked up dog. So if possible, if you take your dog outside to pee before the guests arrive, really that's going to set your dog up for success because they're less likely to to have any urine left to go and then once your guests arrive you really need to ignore your dog until she calms down so until she's nice and calm and placid then once she's standing if she's sitting or she's lying quietly whichever it is you want her to do then calmly pet her and say hello don't then go and make a big fuss over her when she's kind of nice and calm because that's only going to wind her up again and get her excitement peeing again so just slow gentle stroking calm quiet voice just to show that you're acknowledging her you're saying she's doing good but you're not trying to really excite her again now if this 
then triggers excitement, then you need actually a longer delay until she's truly settled. So just ignore her again and repeat the process when calm. But next time, maybe just leave things a little bit longer before you're rewarding her. Now, if she has a pee, then you know, she has a little accident, then clean it up quickly. Don't make her fuss about it. Um, don't, you know, tell her off because that's only going to make things worse. And also potentially use an enzyme cleaner just to break it down so she's not kind of attracted back to that spot and she doesn't think of that spot as an appropriate place to pee. And really with any training, consistency is key. So everybody has to do this all the time. So let your visitors know ahead of time what they need to do, what you expect of them, prep them beforehand. And, you know, it will take time to break a habit. It's not going to happen overnight. It's going to take time for her to learn that she only gets attention if she remains calm. And then once she's doing really well, she's nice and calm, she's sitting and she's staying calm when guests arrive, just regularly reinforce with treats or with praise, just so that the habit really does get in ingrained and she doesn't take a backward step and start getting really excited again. Now, if instead your dog is submissive peeing rather than excitement peeing, then you need to know that submissive behaviour is actually normal for dogs that are not kind of at the top of the tree, the leaders of the pack, and it just lets others know that they're not a threat. That said, we don't want it to be, we don't want a dog to be too submissive because they're really anxious and they're really nervous. And it is more common in nervous and anxious dogs or those that have been poorly treated or if they've been punished after problem peeing of any kind. So that could be excitement peeing. And then they become just really anxious about being told off because they're getting excited and they suddenly kind of develop this submissive peeing. So to start with, uh, teach your dog to sit reliably, um, you know, give them a command, get them to sit, give them a treat. What you then want to do is try and move on to actually just giving your dog a treat when they sit by themselves so without that command so you're rewarding them for sitting so they're thinking that well I'm going to preferentially be in a sitting position because I'm going to get a treat once they then do this reliably then you want to introduce your guests ignore when your dog rolls on their back um, if they're showing other behaviors and only treat to uh, your dog only talk to them only stroke them when your dog is sitting you can also crouch down rather than bend over at the waist because a dog can feel kind of quite threatened certainly a nervous dog can feel quite threatened if you're reaching over the top of their head um, or if they're re- you're reaching down the back so crouch down to their level when you're giving the treat and when you're praising them things that you should avoid doing you should avoid shouting you should like I say avoid reaching over the top of their of, of your dog's head you should avoid punishing also avoid direct eye contact that's quite confrontational in a dog and if they're feeling anxious already then staring at them is going to make them even more anxious and more likely to show submissive behavior uh, and really we want to be avoid any kind of threatening behavior or perceived threatening behavior and then the final thing is rather than petting your dog on the top of their head actually pet them on their neck and their chest area because that's their safe spot again reaching over the top of their head is just going to um, make them more nervous and then if your dog is showing other inappropriate peeing behavior in the house, you know, there could be another num- a, a number of other causes for that. So they could have a urinary tract infection. There could be bladders, bladder disease. So bladder stones, for example, there could be hormonal marking. So entire male dogs actually just urinate and cocking their leg in the corner just to mark their territory. There could be another organ or hormonal disease that's causing excess urine being produced. And so they're having accidents. So if you're having a lot of problem peeing, then get your dog checked over. Ideally, 
ideally take a urine sample with you as well because that's really useful when your vet checks your dog over. Very often, actually, we're checking, we're giving a physical exam and the dog is completely normal. But we take a urine sample and that shows what the problem is or it certainly gives us an idea of where to explore and where to investigate next. And then if you get the all clear there and excitement peeing or submission peeing is still a problem, then just seek advice from a professional dog trainer or behaviourist because this is a problem you really do want to nip in the bud. You're listening to the Dr. Alex Answers Show. And then before we jump into the next question, I just wanted to let you know about my free resource library. So the Knowledge Vault contains over 15 free resources. It includes checklists, condition guides, drug sheets, calculators and ebooks. And really, there's something in there for every pet owner, whether you've got a dog or a cat, a young pet, a puppy or a kitten or a senior companion. Just get access to the Knowledge Vault for free simply by heading over to ourpetshealth.com resources. And so my next question is from Anne, who says that she's got a 13-year-old male ginger cat who's previously had bladder stones, but is also prone to colitis. So her local vets put uh, him on a specific prescription diet for his bladder stones to try and dissolve them. But this flared up his colitis. what can she do? There's a number of different diets that she needs. She wants to try something that is going to keep the colitis nice and settled, but isn't going to form more bladder stones and is going to help to dissolve any bladder stones that are forming. So what can she do? She's looking for a nutritionist, a medically qualified dietitian, as she puts it, who'll liaise with her local vet, but she's only found ones that develop animal feed. So there's a number of different ways we can kind of explore this dietary requirement for for Anne's cat. So I'll start by saying formulating a home-cooked balanced diet of any kind is really very hard. There's been frequent studies shown that people, even when they're giving lots of variety in the diet, they're actually not balanced enough to to provide a long-term maintenance diet. And it's even it's going to be even harder if we're trying to manage different conditions, which each have different specific nutritional requirements. So really, I would only trust a certified veterinary nutritionist to do this. It's not something that your general practitioner can do. It's not something who hasn't been kind of certified and got nutritional qualifications, so quite advanced nutritional qualifications to be able to kind of understand the nature of the disease in cats specifically, and then work on a diet that's going to hopefully be able to tackle both of these problems. So the good thing about um, working with a veterinary nutritionist, and certainly you could be looking for a board certified veterinary nutritionist, like I say, is that that can typically be done remotely so it doesn't matter where in the country you are or really even where in the world you are and that's important because actually there are not very many people who are qualified to provide this kind of service but you can get a history sent through you can ask your vet to send that history through once you've made initial contact you can have then have a phone consultation and again that could be you know with just over the normal phone with your cell phone if you're in the same country but it could be through Skype or something like that if if it's in a different country for example and then the um, kind of the the consult will generate a specific feeding plan and a report and give you an idea of where you can go. Now, the other option would be to actually ask your vet to talk to the pet food company that um, you're dealing with, uh, as they might be able to suggest an appropriate commercial diet based on your individual pet's need. Uh, And while each diet and prescription diet is formulated for a specific condition, very often there will be a more appropriate one, even though the name suggests that it's not designed for that condition. So that would be the other thing to, to suggest in this case if it is becoming a little bit harder to to find a certified veterinary nutritionist. 
And then just remember that the information I give in these podcasts is not a substitute for a consultation and examination with your pet's veterinarian and should not be taken as specific advice for any individual pet. If your pet is unwell, if they're injured or if they're suffering from any kind of problem, then talking to your vet is always the best course of action. Get your question answered at dralexanswers.com. And my final question is from Christine, who writes that a week ago, our £3 four-ounce chihuahua received her first Lyme disease vaccine. She has a slight rash on her belly and two red spots in her groin. So she's only a year old. And do I think that she was too small for this vaccine? Because now Christine is worried. So let's start by saying that in general, vaccine reactions like this, they really are very uncommon. And while she's very small, that in my mind would never be a reason not to vaccinate. So vaccines do prevent potentially fatal disease. A non-core vaccine, so Lyme disease um, and leptospirosis and kennel cough, for example, are non-core vaccines are administered after a risk assessment. And that's based on the risk of disease in your local area and the lifestyle of each individual dog. So with Lyme disease, that's transmitted through ticks. So if you're in a a disease uh, in an area with Lyme disease present and with a high tick presence as well, which unfortunately is becoming more and more prevalent um, with global warming, it's spreading um, in parts of the world that never used to have this problem before then you know that is a risk and Lyme disease is a potential solution to reducing that risk of contraction so the next question is really should small dogs get a smaller vaccine dose than large dogs so small dogs they are slightly more likely to develop vaccine reactions really though reactions that only expected in less than four out of every hundred dogs so less than four percent of dogs and in the vast majority of cases a vaccine reaction is nothing more than being just a little quiet and a little off food for 24 to 48 hours so just for a day or two nothing more serious than that and no treatments needed more severe reactions are possible but they are thankfully very rare for example i've never seen a dog or a cat have an anaphylactic allergic reaction to a vaccine um it's potential it's a potential possibility i'm sure it does happen but it's very very rare now as for vaccine dose we know that the full vaccine dose is safe and produces a reliable immunity certainly that safety has been shown in numerous studies now they don't necessarily check every single breed of every single size there's going to be a range but in the general dog population we know that that they're safe that they are reliable as well in that immunity they're generating and that's really important because a smaller vaccine dose in a small breed dog so like this really tiny chihuahua it's probably going to result in fewer side effects we don't know that for certain but it would make sense but we have no idea if it would produce a reliable protective immunity in every dog from the killer diseases that they're designed to protect against so this isn't something that we want to mess around with there's absolutely no point in vaccinating at all if we don't know that we're going to get that reliable protective immunity that's been proven to be the case in the dose of vaccine given now Sure, in an ideal world, there would be lots of tests that go into small dogs and it may be that we'd be able to produce a smaller dose vaccine. But just to take that into our own hands and say, for example, administer half a dose will potentially leave your dog open to contracting one of these infections despite having received this small dose of vaccine. Now, if we're talking about vaccine reactions in general and side effects, then really in 
Christine's redog, I'd say I would expect a skin reaction to happen really within a day or two. And more normally, that would be a local reaction, like a little lump that forms where a vaccine was given that then disappears over a week or two is nothing more serious than that. Um, if we've got an allergic reaction or an anaphylactic reaction develops, then that really generally is within minutes to a few hours of a vaccine being given. And, you know, you can see that when we get vaccines ourselves, and certainly our children do, we're advised to stay at the doctor's for 20 to 30 minutes after we administer, after after they receive that vaccine, just in case there is an allergy that develops. Now, if we do get allergies, we get hives. So that is a like a lumpy, bumpy skin that can be quite itchy. We can also get swelling of the face and neck in our dogs, potentially vomiting, diarrhea, laboured breathing, difficulty breathing, and even collapse um, can be a case and even death ultimately. But really remember, these are very, very rare. So that said, a rash is clearly not normal in this wee dog and it would definitely be worth calling your vet about. If it's itchy, if it's getting worse, then you know it is especially important for you to get the dog examined. If we then move on to prevention for Lyme's disease, now I did mention that vaccine is only one part of that and it may not be appropriate for every dog even if Lyme disease is in your area. Reducing tick exposure and appropriate tick control is really important in this regard and you should check out my article linked in the show notes for more information about tick control and Lyme disease in general if that's something that you're interested in. So that's it for this episode of the podcast. Be sure to subscribe and I'd really appreciate it if you could share this episode with three of your pet owning friends and family. Remember too to head over to dralexanswers.com where you'll find the links and downloads mentioned in today's show and you can also submit your question there for me to answer in a future episode. But until next time, take care. You've been listening to the Dr. Alex Answers Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and we'll see you on the next episode of the show where you ask the questions and Dr. Alex answers.